0: all the way. Oh, and the hero as Leicester leave it late to beat Brighton on the back of a hard-fought point at Burnley. Overall, a good week for City as we build up to the Sheffield United game at home in the Premier League. In association with FootballKitMarket.com, it's For Fox's Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox's Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me, Rob. And Rob's going
1: to tell you all that this is take two. (laughs) How did you know me so well? You concentrated so hard on your own name there. Uh, for those of you that are listening, we're rapidly approaching 200 episodes of For Fox's sake. Pete Selby has introduced every single one in the same way, exactly the same way. This time, uh, he forgot his own name.
0: It wasn't a forget, it was a stumble over the words. I was so excited with the win yesterday, Rob. So excited. And uh, it all just unveiled that Palace have just scored against Spurs. Anyway, it's uh, you know when we're recording this. We're recording it midway through the, uh, the Tottenham Palace game. On a Sunday evening after Leicester have beaten Brighton, after Leicester draw away at Burnley. So at the moment, we're sitting third in the league because United have beaten Manchester City in the Manchester derby. But uh, Liverpool have lost at home against Fulham. And at the moment, all is looking a little bit more rosy in the Leicester City Garden, isn't it, Rob? Because as much as our league position and overall league form was actually really good and quite healthy in terms of only losing that game against Arsenal and being second slash third in the league and having a really good advantage over teams further back because of the misery surrounding the injuries, etc., which went into uh, great detail in the last episode, it was a little bit doomy-gloomy. But we did try and kind of boost everyone, hopefully, with the last episode of the fixture list and the games coming up and the possibilities. And we pretty much got it bang on in terms of the amount of points we got from these two games. We kind of got it the wrong way round, but four points in the manner that they've... Managed to gather them. Uh, it's been overall, I would say, a positive and quite quite a positive week. In fact, uh, for for Leicester, it's uh, it's looking good so far.
1: It absolutely is, and I would say that uh, that is an, at least in some small part down to the positive power of our previous episode. Yes, we were down in the dumps because we were unceremoniously exited the Europa League um we got well beaten by Arsenal, the injury list was lengthening, but we tried to remain positive and we predicted four points out of the the last two games against Burnley and Brighton, and we got them, yes the other way around, but who cares four points and and you might say that that was a tad um unambitious for a side that wants top four, but they are we knew they'd be two close games, you know. Burnley and Brighton have not really been heavily beaten many times this season. They've always been close games. Uh, You know what you're going to get from Burnley. Brighton seem to be able to do absolutely everything other than win football matches because they're a decent footballing side. They don't particularly concede too many. They just don't know how to win football matches. But one thing that Leicester have proven in the last five or six days is that they are that they have the sort of the the ability to win ugly, which for me is is a real positive because you know we, this this side this year, or, or obviously drawing comparisons to the team um, at this stage of the season last season because it's a very similar team albeit with a couple of new faces. Um, and would you have expected Leicester at this stage of last season to go and get four points? in the manner that they did against Burnley and Brighton, with the the situation surrounding injuries, etc. No, you absolutely wouldn't have. So so that's why we were saying that four points would be positive. Four points is what we've got. Um, Really, really pleased that we can sit here on a Sunday evening and reflect on four points. Two more games unbeaten. And a couple more steps in the right direction towards the overall objective.
0: I mentioned that we got them the wrong way round in terms of the two performances, but then also lineups, uh, results, etc. So the draw at Burnley and then the win at Brighton, which we'll talk in one kind of big mixed bowl because they were both very similar sides. We mentioned about playing Sidney Tavares. We both had him, didn't we, in our starting lineups against Burnley. When in fact it was the Brighton game in which he was thrown in in that position uh, against Burnley. They went with a more a more solid midfield because it was Mendy, Chowdhury, and uh, and Yuri Tillemans. So we kind of got that right in terms of the lineup, but for the wrong game. Uh, and the the Brighton game, it, I, the one thing with the Brighton game, looking back now, is that an awful. It's very easy um, to sit here and go, oh yeah, good points. Brilliant performance by Kasper Um but we had chances late on, they hit the post, I, overall, looking at that game, I think Burnley, and a, a lot of people kind of passed over, and maybe because it's the, the Leicester hyper-bubble that we're in, that it's Leicester-centric, but I think a lot of people kind of passed over the performance by Burnley, I thought they were, I thought they were very good, ultra Direct, ultra direct. I mean, we all know about Chris Wood and what's he's like. What he's like, how he didn't score that header, great header, and then you know, fantastic save by Schmeichel. But I'm, uh, I thought Burnley were excellent. I thought they were very busy. They were very quick. Um, and any time they get the ball, just get the ball out wide and ping a diagonal into the box. It really was, I think, just a step further route one than they than they have been. And and someone like. Um, Marty who will come on to against Brighton but he, he had a real torrid time for saying he's such a big lad at the back he really got knocked about and uh and almost lost a little bit of confidence for when he then had the ball um to then go and do uh to, to then go and pass the ball forward and just try and, and move with the ball which you expect a defender to be able to do in a back three especially um one of the uh one of the wider players it was just a real shame that um that Wesley Fofana wasn't fully fit because Wilfred and Didi, hes just not a centre half. If we—if if you're in an emergency, then yeah, of course he can play there, but he really isn't. And and the mix-up with Chowdhury, etc. It just—it looked like a team who were trying to figure out where they were meant to be in the first few minutes, cost them the goal, and then ultimately it was then Wilfred and Didi stepping out of defence, uh, who then. Play the ball forward for um, Ian Acho to score. What was ultimately a really good goal, really good finish, very difficult technique. Quite sure what the goalkeeper was doing at the time, but that showed you the um, the real for me problem with Leicester in that first half. Indeed, he playing at the back and then having the issue for the goal, which I know was Hamza Chowdhury's fault ultimately, but indeed he was there and part of it, and then. When he plays in his normal position, when he stepped forward out of defence for that moment, he then contributes for the goal with a good pass. So ultimately, a really good performance, a really good point overall. A fantastic display by Kashmir Michael, and we got out of there uh, with, I think, just a little bit of of a skip in our step, moving on to the Brighton game. But overall, looking at that point, that was a hard thought, but really. Well-earned points, and again,
1: just highlighting how good a season Casper's having. Yeah, well, you'd always be surprised if you went to Turf Moor and you and you played a game that that you didn't know that you'd been in. If you came away after ninety minutes and didn't know you'd been in a game against Burnley, then Sean Dyche would have certainly had something to say to his side. They're always very competitive, uh, and look, that's how they've managed to maintain their Premier League status over the over the last few years is by making sure that they, they they stick to their game plan and, you know, some managers in the past haven't been particularly happy with some of their methods. But what you've got is an honest set of players who maybe are technically limited in, in some areas, but they will always give a hundred percent. They will always um give everything physically to a match. And I think they are looking a much better side with Chris Wood back from injury because without him and Barnes for a little while, weren't they? And, and Rodriguez and Vidra are not really the kind of strikers that that Burnley need in order to function. So having Chris Wood back is, is massive because he wins everything. He bullied the centre-backs. I, I, it was interesting that Ndidi was, was chosen to play in there because uh, I know Fofana wasn't ready to start a match, but... Could he possibly have, have played Chu as a central um, of the three and, and Fuchs as the left-sided of the three centre-backs, knowing the aerial um, threat that was coming? Wolf, Wilfred, indeed, is very good in the air, but is he ready for a full combat with a seasoned juggernaut of a striker like Chris Wood? Well, I don't know, and uh, Marty certainly wasn't ready for it, was he? What I'd say about the defenses, if we're sort of taking the Brighton and the Burnley game in in one breath, is that whichever personnel have played in the last two games, they look like they're missing Johnny Evans, and they look like they're missing a back four. And you know, so so to have come out of those games, both times we conceded um, uh, goals that that weren't particularly good goals to concede. You know, the opponent hasn't really... Vidra's a decent finish, so's Lalana, but they've been presented with the opportunity both times. And I'm not blaming the defence entirely for that, but the the sort of unit, like you said there, Pete, people still sort of figuring out who's who and who's where and who fits in where, who's going to come and get the ball, where do I need to lay it back off, etc. And then the defence was sort of caught unaware a little bit for the for the goal against against Brighton. So to come through with a point from Burnley and, and three from Brighton with what was a makeshift back three. I don't like for the second game of Marty Fafana and all altogether. I think that they definitely need a Johnny Evans in there. I think that all of them are more comfortable in a two or a Marty at right back in a Danny Simpson kind of right back, rather than a Ricardo kind of right back, um, but it's it's a positive that we managed to to get through those those games. If we were playing against teams that were scoring more freely, we might be having a different conversation here. But we're not, and we and we got through. And Kasper Schmeichel is is a world class goalkeeper. That that full stop. I mean, what more do you need to see from a man who has been at the club for so so long? And again we've touched upon this well we went into quite a lot of detail a few podcasts ago so I'm not going to go into it again but how lucky are we and how grateful should we be for having such a quality goalkeeper who is there to earn us points and that's exactly what he did
0: it it was strange
1: because football now you know it it just rolls on so
0: quickly and you forget so quickly because there's another game coming up and the other game is live and, and, and the football world really does move on quickly and, and all of a sudden we find ourselves against a Brighton side with and I said a, a skip in our step I I certainly had that that's me that was my thoughts because the point I thought overall was a very good point against Burnley I thought maybe more than others and then you go and you see the team and you see that Sydney Tavares is in the lineup in a in a lineup which we expected against Burnley. or well, expected. We predicted against Burnley, but with Fuchs obviously as the defender, we, rather than say um, Ndidi dropping back, etc., etc. Obviously now for Farners back, and that automatically gives everyone a bit of a um, a bit of a smile and a bit of a "Let's see what this lad can do," and it starts very poorly again. Leicester uh, slow at the beginning, and you can almost link the two goals together, the goal for Burnley, the goal for Brighton, Leicester's error for the goal against Burnley with the sloppy play by Hamza Chowdhury, but essentially just in the style of going straight through the back line and then scoring with a neat finish, and then Brighton essentially through a little bit of neat footwork, but nothing extraordinary, almost because it wasn't exactly at breakneck pace, walking through the Leicester back line and a nice finish from a similar position. It was a little bit of deja vu. Really poor start. And Leicester really struggled in that first half. The formation overall, completely understandable why they, they played that formation. But the, the, the main issue with it... And again, I, I don't have a a great issue with having a, having a 3-5-2 formation. And I was mentioning this earlier, but the 3-5-2 formation... Works if you have um, a a multitude of different defenders. I've always thought that 3 5 2 works best, and Leicester actually completely disproved this theory from the 90s. Because in the 90s, you had your Walsh, you had your Elliot, you had your Frank Sinclair, your Jerry Taggart, you wouldn't say the most agile centre halves playing in a back three, and it worked. Okay, the back three that you have nowadays would more than likely not include three genuine centre-halves. You would have fullbacks who can play as the wider members of a back three. So you instantly look at James Justin, who can really play in a back three um, on on the right, or maybe the left as well, plays that position very well. Um, You look at maybe someone like Quetta. They don't have to be the tallest member of a back three. Do you know what I mean? They don't have to be a six foot two, six foot five centre half. They can be a former fullback. And the re- one of the reasons for that is because if you're in midfield and nowadays if you play a possession-based game, which Leicester obviously do, and like to recycle the ball, start again, start the process again, if Yuri Tillemans or if Wilfred Ndidi Uh, lose the ball and win it back or under pressure and they will play the ball back almost all the way to Schmeichel sometimes but when that happens you then have the back three with the ball and then you have the two wing backs who are at that point in time because we've um, been put under pressure and we're dropping back they would then be falling back towards fullback positions so you have five players the person who's passed the ball back is instantly not really in a position to then receive the ball because they were being hustled and harried anyway, so naturally they they wouldn't be wanting the ball straight away. Six players. So that's six outfield players who are instantly not available for the ball to be passed forward. And then you have the problem of an Amati or Sojo or whoever then going, right, well I need to pass it alongside the back line and that's going to go to another defender and it's not very conducive for attacking football now on the flip side with full backs going forward or the wing backs going forward they can press high up the field and they can turn into um, almost four at one point going forward and and um, obviously the number eight then goes forward etc etc so when you build play further forward through a 3-5-2 formation you can then have overloads out wide And it can turn very attacking. But that happened for Leicester an awful lot in the first half. They had the ball, put in the pressure, passed it back. And then there was no one really further forward um, to receive the ball. The main player would be Sidney Tavares, who's making his debut. Um, The two forwards uh, were further high up the pitch. And you're not really going to go long because Brighton have very, very tall centre-halves. They've got White and they've got um, Lewis Dunk and they've got the tallest fullback in the world probably with Burn, who's, I mean, he's massive, isn't he? So it just didn't work. And we'll talk about when we preview the game against Sheffield United, um, in terms of what I would like to see Leicester do and what I think they will do. And they certainly changed in the second half. They moved to a more 4-3-3 formation and it became, more, uh, it became just more comfortable for the players. Not in a positional sense, but just in when they had the ball, there was more options for them than to move the ball forward. That's what I gathered from from the second half. It looked, it made it a more of an easier watch in theory because there were options going forward, and that's where I looked at kind of like a little bit of a tactical um, imbalance, really, because Brighton, Brighton's formation actually is the is the way I would like Leicester to go forward against uh, Sheffield United. And again, we'll come onto that more, but. After going behind, you need a response and it just got to that period in the in the second half, Rob, where I just started to kind of panic because we didn't have a really positive response just after half-time. I thought they might come out with a bit of a bounce. It didn't happen. We've seen that many times this season, haven't we? Leicester uh, either being behind or maybe drawing at half-time and instantly start the second half having a real kick. It didn't happen. And, it needed something special and there he is again. A no look pass by Yuri Tillemans and a lovely finish by Inacho. A really comfortable, confident finish. It looked to me of a a Kalechi from his Man City days. You could easily see that being a, a Manchester City goal. It was a goal which was rightly praised by all over social media, on on Sky as well. They were full of it, and deservedly so. I think that goal. I don't think it's going to go underrated because I hate that kind of term as well. Underrated? What? Just because someone's not being paraded through the streets and having goal thrown at them, you know, things are being praised. I, I just think that goal is an outstanding goal, absolutely outstanding. God is back in the game. And it was the the launch pad for the final fifteen.
1: Well, I think your are um, likening it to a Manchester City goal is is high praise indeed, and is is certainly not um, is certainly not uh, doing it, playing it down, is it? Because the the pass from Yuri Tielemans and the and the finish from Kelechi and Atto are both. Uh, I think I texted you at the time. Uh, I called them both ridiculous uh, in in all of the positive ways that, that ridiculous can be used. It was Tielemans... Real, real quality. And, and the thing that we, we talk about about him all the time is he's the one that tries those passes because the rest of the squad can't really do that. There's only him and Madison, really, who can play that forward pass, that one that breaks the line, that one that beats a defender, that one that can take players out of the game. And uh, to, to, to just sort of pick up on your your tactician's uh, notes there, Pete, the, the, a lot of the complaints from supporters... Uh, particularly after the first halves of the games against Brighton and Burnley, were the fact that there were too many sidewards or backwards passes. And, and, you know, you've got to sort of take that with, with the transition of style of play that Brendan Rodgers has overseen in the last two years at Leicester. Gone are the days where it's one touch to get it out of your feet or one touch to win it in midfield and then look early doors for the ball Um over the top for, to find Vardy playing on the shoulder of the last defender that that's simply not the method that Leicester are trying to apply anymore and yes at times it can look a little bit dull and frustrating and and I I completely see where people are coming from and I, and I feel that I see that exactly the same as as you do but I think my main limitation for that 352 is sort of born from your point about the the three centre-backs, really, they can't be Taggart, Walsh, Elliott and Sinclairs anymore. They've got to be the ball-playing ones that you mentioned. And uh, particularly Amati, I don't want to single him out because he absolutely isn't the only one, but doesn't seem particularly confident on the ball. And what that does is if you've got Ricardo and Castagna who are playing wing-backs, who... Yes, we've seen them work in tandem on the right-hand side in a couple of games earlier on um, a couple of weeks ago. Yes, they could both technically play as a winger or a wing-back, but they'll always have that fullback element of, well, w- why are they mainly considered a fullback? Well, that's because they haven't quite got that extra edge that a winger has. And if they're out there on the touchline on their own and they're being closed down, either by a winger or a full-back, because Brighton were playing sort of four and four, um, then they've got nowhere else to go. They look down the line and they see a Brighton shirt. They look inside. They see that their central midfielders have been tightly marked. So all they can do is go back to the left or right-sided of the three centre-backs. And we saw it quite a lot. And it's no slight against Ricardo or Castagna, but if they're playing... As fullbacks in a back four, they can bring the ball forward because they've got the option of uh, the winger who is playing for Leicester, which we don't have at the moment, by the way. Um, occupies one of the wide men, and there's a bit more opportunity to work together there. Or the winger's got the ball, and the fullback goes on the overlap and uses their physical strengths, their, their pace, and their energy, which Ricardo and Castagna have in abundance. So them they were looked quite isolated out there, and I think that was a um, because of the imbalance, like you say, within the shape, with putting players into positions who can do the job there, but are not your first choice, not ideal for that kind of role. On to Acho, goodness me, that finish against Brighton, I think most of us were like, hit it. As soon as it came through to him, you expected him to open his body up, bend it left-footed into the far corner, already start wheeling away as he watches it go in, And you're thinking, here we go. Kelechi, two and two. And your thoughts exactly echo mine, Pete. The Manchester City in Iannaccio. The one that we thought we were buying a few years ago. The one that you give him the ball in a goal-scoring opportunity and he just sticks it in the back of the net. Regardless of what he does for the other 89 and a half minutes, you don't care as long as he's bagging the goals. The finish against Burnley was incredible, the way he watched that over his shoulder. An outrageous finish. This one against Brighton he doesn't score this in my opinion if he hasn't scored that goal against Burnley a few days before the delay it looked like the chance had gone he's committed the goalkeeper he's waited for the goalkeeper to go down and he's dinked that into the back of the net that is a supremely confident finish from a man who what six eight weeks ago we were sitting on this podcast saying he'll be gone in the summer he looks bereft of confidence He'd missed chances. He just wasn't looking like a Leicester player at all. And all of a sudden, look, game time and goals, and he looks like the player that we want him to turn into. And two fantastic finishes, which have categorically earned us a lot of points um, to, towards securing a top four place.
0: Absolutely. It's it's funny when we talk about the defence the previous game against Burnley was Wilford and Didi dropping back into the defence. And now we have Fafana back fully fit and starting for Leicester. So you have the three centre-halves. You've got the fullbacks in place. But the reason they're playing that formation is because of the problems we have in the attacking midfield areas and forward line, in theory. So the reason that Kelechi is playing is because of the absence, as we know, of barnes and of James Madison, and of Dennis Pratt, etc, who can play in those roles, Iosi Perez, under as well, missing through injury, so those players missing means that we have to play those two, and we have to play those two, which means we can't play our traditional formation, because they are different to is different, so you can't play straight away at how Madison would put, instantly play, you know, in the position, you have to change things around, so that's the reason why the defence was, was, was moved about, and I feel sorry for him, Marty. I know he's played at fullback, but the fullback, he, he is very limited. Let's put it that way. His position at the football club is well known. He is now behind your Fafanas, choose uh your Johnny Evans uh, as a Leicester centre half. And he is a centre half. If you want to play him in a back three, fine, okay. But I think he's a limited centre half. And because of his injury problems, etc., he's at the club and he's more than likely not going to be moved on he's more than likely going to be kept in the system because he's a reliable player he looks like he's well liked amongst the bunch of uh, of players there and also because of his selection maybe not these two games but if you look back this season it looks like Brendan actually does trust him and he is a very trustworthy player i think his best position is is quite easily in a back 2 as a center half and as he gets older that's only going to become more apparent because he's he's going to become more um he's going to become less mobile put it that way you remember when we bought him he was a defensive midfielder who could play at center half fullback etc uh, that's only going to diminish and he's going to turn into a um, a bit of a lump of a centre-half as he gets further through his career, uh, not helped at all by the injuries as well. So if that's the case, then fine. He, he looks an ideal backup. And I'd imagine, and this is just off the top of my head, he's probably quite happy to be that player at a hopefully Champions League club. Because if he does move, let's face it, he's probably not going to move to another Champions League club. Uh, that being said, he is the hero of the hour at the moment because he scored the winner. a a good corner. I think the corner has maybe been uh, over-egged slightly by Albrighton because it turned into a it, it was obviously a goal. Uh, a, a Leicester corner. I mean, I'm looking up into the sky to see whether it's at the, the end of times. Where's the asteroid in the sky? Leicester score from a corner. But, whipping that ball into the far post, a deep corner, and then a goalkeeper obviously making a right hash of it. He's done very well to get his head on the ball and direct it towards the goal into the back of the net. He's done very well with the header. That's not quite, because when it went in, I thought, hang on, what's this gone in off? This could be all sorts. And it turns out, he's stooped low, and it's a good header, and it's gone in. Fantastic. Three points. Um... The one thing with the corner, the one bit of praise I will say, how many times or when was the last time you saw a Leicester player take a corner that went to the far post, okay? We know they like to play the, the front post routine and and, and I think people... I'm fully understanding that they're obviously working on this on the training ground, etc. But when was the last time you actually saw Leicester take a corner? That was a deep corner. And also, on top of that, there was a player actually there waiting for that very corner. It wasn't just an over-hit corner and there's no one there. Because when that happens, you know for a fact it's just a miss hit, and there's no one in that position. This was either Daniel Armati turning a, a, a bad corner uh, into a good corner or... It was actually a deep corner to the far post. That that's very very rare for me. But ultimately we've won the game, and and um, and hats off for the header, uh, Marty. He's the uh, the hero of the hour. Um, but I
1: wouldn't be putting him into the first team against Sheffield United. <laughs> yeah, thanks for scoring the goal but you're out get on the bench uh, I agree with you but I was going to say about the far post corners. the only times I've seen it go to the far post um, this season is when it's gone miles over everybody's head and curled very disappointingly out for a goal kick quite often off the boot of James Madison who we praise quite a lot on this podcast but we also critique as well at the same time don't we um, Albrighton we know about his deliveries he isn't Always the first choice from a, a dead ball or a crossing situation, even when he's on the pitch, which I think is interesting. And, of course, look, the goalkeeper should be doing better. He's he's kind of got himself a bit too pumped up. Um, he's put himself under a bit too much pressure. Why he's going for that when he's got so many centre-halves in there, big fellas... Um, a team like Leicester who just not absolutely score. massive, They are, they the are massive. yeah. And we're a team that absolutely never ever scores from a corner. So why he thinks he's got to come and take control of that situation, I don't know. From all Brighton's, uh, from an all Brighton point of view, he has put a ball in there that has caused problems. Yes, the goalkeeper's made an individual error, but all Brighton's corner is is pacey. And I think that's that's a technique that's really difficult to to get enough lift on because you said they're the front post uh, regime, the front post routine. Um, Madison tries to whip them in at pace because you know we're not going to very rarely are we going to hang a ball into a penalty into an opponent's penalty area and, and win the first ball from that kind of header. It needs to have the pace already on it. It needs to cause them some problems, uh, and Madison quite often fails to clear the first man with that whereas all brighton's did and and it's traveling very flat at a roundabout head height across the top of the six yard box it's just begging to be put in and i'm absolutely with you when that ball goes in and you realize that it's daniel amati wheeling away you're thinking goodness me what body part has he put in with this are we going to var as he shoveled it in with his hands or something um, as it as it hit his hip and his knee and then he'd fallen over and faced it in or something daft like that. But credit where credit is due, it's a great header because most people there are expecting the keeper to, to claim that. And it's come past so many heads and bodies that he's got no right to anticipate it, especially being a defender. If a striker scores that goal, you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. striker, poacher's instinct. They're in the opposition penalty area. They're expecting to to get a chance. This is Daniel Amati, who people are saying, shouldn't, you know, wrongly so in my opinion, people are slating on social media, oh, the guy can't take a throw in, he can't pass the ball five yards forward. Look, all of these things might have, you might have some evidence for from the game. But, for a man that looks, I wouldn't say lacking confidence, but the guy's hardly played any football for two years. He's still getting himself back into this. And, and, he showed real awareness, anticipation, sharpness and ultimately quality to stick that ball in the back of the net. And the the way that the players mobbed him, yes, he's, he scored what looks to be the winner in a tough game, uh, in a tough period of the season. So, of course, he's going to get the, the plaudits for that. But he looks to be a very popular member of the squad. And think about this. Where would we be without him at the moment? I know he's not played an awful lot of games this season, but, you know he's he's a player with relative experience he as you say is a player that Brendan Rodgers clearly trusts because he continues to start him in Premier League matches yes his hand's been forced a little bit but if you don't have squad players like Amati, like Mendy in the squad then that's when the question marks can really be asked about the depth of your squad because you'd you'd then possibly be looking at playing um, obviously in this case we'd have had Fuchs, but but then you're looking to the bench and there's players like um, Daley Campbell on the bench. And I know we've seen him once or twice, but I'd much rather have a squad player like Daniel Amati, who's got experience in, in other European leagues, um, is is solid and dependable, you know what you're going to get with him. I'd much rather have him in to cover the injury crisis than, than have to... Dip into be forced to dip into the development squad. So I'm really really pleased for him. To be honest with you, it's probably not going to shut the the haters up. It will probably turn him into something of a even more of a cult figure at Leicester City than he was before. But look, he's he's turned one point into three, and those two additional points come the end of the season could be absolutely invaluable. I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head with with him because you've got people turn around and they'll,
0: and they'll slate him and oh he's rubbish and, he's that and the other. yeah uh, in comparison to most of the squad yes he is is he clumbersome yes is he awkward on the ball yes is he a bit of a joke figure yes he is guess what every squad needs one uh but is he very useful yes he is and he's scored a winner Cult figure, again, he is kind of the number one really in the in the squad, isn't he? He he's he's that guy at the moment. And you never know, he might turn into a, a real player where if it is backs to the wall, he's invaluable. He's that player you'll bring on. And you think you know, if you're in opposition, you think crikey who's this, you know, what's this being brought on now? He, he's that you know, that big lad at the back to bring on. But he's he's ours. He is our that he's that player, and he's our version of that player. And, and there you go. I think people, they just want better, don't they? Some people, oh, he's rubbish. Get rid of him. You know, we want, I want so-and-so, centre-off. Oh, OK, yeah, go on. You know, you sign him on Football Manager. This is real life. Guess what? Um, but at the moment... It's hats off to the guy because he is the hero. Interestingly, with the bench, um, there was uh, Shane Flynn was on the bench. Whether you, you saw that, Rob, um, a young Irish midfielder. He, and I think, that's the first time he was on the bench in a Premier League game. I've seen his name there in Europe. I seem to remember, but uh, yes, so he was on the bench as well. Uh, let's take a few minutes and talk about Old uh, Sydney, Old um, Sydney, the new superstar. What, what a hit. It was it, delighted had he played, delighted, and really excited by the absolute spitting image of Demari Gray. I've no, I mean, that is unbelievable likeness to Demari Gray. Uh, ridiculous almost sometimes in his mannerism as well, but like, uh, you know, very languid. But uh, what when you see him on a touchline or you see a close up of him. If you didn't know, it's Damari Gray. But anyway, that's um I don't know whether that's just me, but it's it's uh it's quite uh quite startling. I, it made me laugh a few times. But an an interesting debut, a tough game. Uh, one obvious obvious highlight was the the ability he showed with that half volley. Great strike, everyone thought it was in, good save by the keeper. Um when you're a youngster the games are going to catch you uh, catch up with you in terms of speed, aren't they? You're going to be on the ball. All of a sudden, it's taken off you. He's not rubbish. It just means this is the quickest game he's ever played in. It's his top-flight Premier League football. Happened a few times. Not an issue. Um, I like his directness and his boldness. His um, whether that's a word. Uh, he looks to. He looks to influence a game. He looks to get the ball and. He obviously knows he's a good player, but he looks to influence the game by himself, which is what you want. Um, which is a, you know maybe even a slightly arrogant thing. Not a problem if you're a good player. Show it. That's what we. That's what we want. It happened against Burnley when he came on against Burnley. One of the first things he did was take the ball. And he was head down and running, and people were struggling to take the ball off him. Uh, he showed a little bit of a um, little bit of strength as well. I know Brendan said actually in an interview, it's one thing we really want to work with him on, and that's his physique. Uh, and now he's got to that age where he's nineteen, where they can really build on that. So overall, it was just it was promising, it was encouraging. Uh, there was the highlight of the shot. But I suppose the real big thing is the fact that he actually started. So this is a player who we threw into the side against Burnley. But we sit here and and talk about who we would play and try and make an educated guess. And if we're going to throw in a bit of a curveball by ourselves, we'll say that. Uh, But for Brendan to actually do it in a Premier League game, that shows that this lad really is uh, some player in the making and fingers crossed it's uh, it all works out for him and uh, I don't think it's the uh, I don't think it's the last time that we see him this season I think he's going to be whether he starts or maybe because of the 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 players coming back from injury hopefully sooner rather than later uh, whether he starts again is probably a, um maybe not but I'd imagine he'll be coming off the bench more times than not
1: in the Premier League and uh, and yeah great great stuff all around. Yeah, very pleased to see him from the start. I think it was sensible in hindsight. We're obviously not the most sensible and we're definitely not football managers. Uh, it was sensible to put him into the Brighton game from the start in a midfield where he's got two of the best midfielders in the Premier League, arguably, in Wilfred Adidi and Yuri Tielemans for, for different characteristics. It almost took the onus off him a little bit and, and said... Go on, there, Sydney. Look, Wilf knows what he's doing. Yuri knows what he's doing. You just, you just go and do your job, uh, and we'll see what you can do. And of course, his first Premier League start against a team like Brighton, who are absolutely the opposite of a placid side. They are a high intensity, hard working team with and without possession. So he was, it was going to catch up with him at times. But yeah, he looks like a very good runner with the ball which is something that we don't possess in our midfield, really. Tielemans is, is forward-thinking, but I, I don't think he's the he's not the quickest of, of customers. He's not going to blast past players. Uh, and Tavares looks like he glides uh, across the grass very well. Technically very good touch, which we, we, we sort of touched upon um, after he came on in the Europa League. um. And he he just gives us a little bit of something different. And now, if he's 19 and Brendan Rodgers is clearly keen to work on his physicality, and you can get a bit more about him in terms of making him a bit broader because he's 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 quite a tall lad, then you could have. And and I'm not I'm not likening him to to these players in terms of what they've achieved in the game, but it could you could have a sort of Yaya Toure esque physique there. In terms of that, Yaya Torre, excellent technician, but an absolute powerhouse in the middle of the park as well. I don't know if Tavares has got the physicality or if that's if that's a potential that he could reach. I'm thinking other midfielders, one that I particularly liked who I thought we might have been in the mix for um, last summer from Watford, Decore, good on the ball, very good box-to-box, physical athlete. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, maybe that kind of player. Um Obviously, we've we seen a little glimpse of the beginnings of his career here, Tavares. So I'm not trying to make crazy predictions for him. But that's the kind of player that he could be. And it's something different for our midfield, And that's why he's got a game. Because Rodgers has said, look, you got Mendy, who is just going to making use of himself and trying to protect the defence the best he can. You've got Ndidi, who is an out-and-out ball winner. You've got Chowdhury, who has plenty of energy, but is not as tidy in possession. Uh, again, a, a more defence-minded player. You wouldn't want him to be your playmaker. So without Dennis Pratt and James Madison available, it's only Yuri Tielemans. So to have Tavares as an option that who can come in, and as you say... For, let's say you want to start a game or you want to play an hour with with if you want if you're playing three in the middle, you, you want to play it with Wilfred and Didi, uh Uri Tillemans and then one of Chowdhury or Mendy, and then you think, all right, we want to be a bit more progressive the last half an hour, look into the bench, bring Tavares on, and you say go and go and affect the game. And he looks like that's what he wants to do. He didn't shy away from anything. He when he needed to, dropped in deep to receive the ball. Looks like he was here to stay, really. He didn't look like a a young lad that was just happy to be there. He wanted to have an impact on the game and I think it will be good for him and good for Leicester if we can use him, probably sparingly, but for a few more stints on the field in the last 10 games of the Premier League season. Um, Hopefully then tie him down in the summer and... See what kind of player he can become because if you're looking at other midfielders at the club, um, as, as we said on the previous podcast, would he probably be behind Dewsbury Hall in people's estimations at the beginning of the season? Yes, Dewsbury Hall's another one who's a very good technician, but I'd say I'd liken him more to Yuri Tielemans in terms of the fact that he's good technically. But is he going to absolutely blast past players? No, Tavares is a rare blend of both. And I hope that this is the start of exciting things to come. Well, the three-word
0: reviews were in: squad players contributes, winner from corner, uh, extra quality prevails. What a pass! Uh, three massive points. Uh, what no injuries? Uh, transformative second half. Mar- uh, a Marty Party Woo. Um, yes, another score from a corner. Casper saves. They found a way. Smash and grab. Uh, and uh, some idiot says. Uh,
1: Player of the season. Let me let me just cast your minds back to the very start of the season where we gave our um, very serious suggestions for who we thought could be the standout players this season and then I threw in, as a bit of a throwaway at the end, Daniel Amati for player of the season, Islam Slimani for top goal scorer. Now, admittedly, the second one hasn't worked out, but the first one, hey, what did we say about how important these extra two points against Brighton were? Vital, absolutely vital.
0: So Leicester sitting pretty. Uh, at the time of recording, Spurs there winning 3-1. Uh, a, dr- a terrible rob. Bale scored twice. We, we had a discussion off-air about fancy football and I was, how I didn't pick him. It was on the verge and he scored twice. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, we'll come on to that in a bit. But uh, So at the moment, sitting pretty in the Premier League. Uh, Liverpool, a big... Uh, <laughs> There's 10 games to go, so you can never rule them out. Because if they all of a sudden start turning it on, then they can go and win. Game, 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 game. At the moment, they are calling it a bond or and they're losing everything at home. Uh, they lose it against Fulham. United beating City, which I think overall Leicester fans will be disappointed because we're ahead of them. But if you're talking big picture here, top four... That game really, I think, was possible. I'm looking further down the league. I'm looking at your Chelseas, uh, now your Everton's, your West Ham's, etc., and your Tottenham's. They're the they're the teams really for me that uh, that we're keeping an eye on. So, at this point of the weekend, it's been a really good weekend for Leicester. Uh, just to actually touch on the um, Leicester Women, they're top of the uh, of the championship, looking to get promoted to the WSL, the Women's Super League, uh, which will be on the BBC and on. BT next year so it'd be great if Leicester women are on uh, TV and they are joint top they are um, both them and Durham are miles clear Uh, they're currently on 38 points they've actually got a better goal difference by a mile from Durham and they've got one game in hands played today won 7-0 away at London Bees so a really good performance there so they're flying fingers crossed they can Uh, get promotion and we know that they're using Beaver Drive etc so they've got the best facilities or some of the best you'd imagine in the WSL when they get promoted if not the best really because they've got a whole training ground a Premier League standard training ground to themselves so more power to them and uh, and yeah fingers crossed that they can get promotion we uh, also Rob um, a bit of transfer news there's been an awful lot of chat regarding um, the main guy for me and I think for you as well and many Leicester fans, in terms of a new forward, this Edward up in Scotland at Celtic, there's been strong rumours, you know, not even rumours, but um stories and columns written about Leicester being uh not just at the head of the queue for him, but arguably pretty much a done deal with um with the youngster, or youngster, he's uh, he's in his early 20s, move into the King Power in the summer for around about 15 million quid, which, in terms of a centre-forward, is not a lot of money. And uh, we spoke about why we think he's going to be an ideal signing for Leicester or why he could be a very good signing for Leicester, but those rumours and those stories, they look slightly more concrete now, don't they?
1: they do and i'll tell you what what fills me with positivity about this kind of link is that if anyone is in a position to decide whether he is the right player for Leicester city it's brendan rogers who managed him for a couple of years up at celtic you know we we trusted rogers judgment with benkovic because we thought benkovic would possibly be in and around the first team setup this season and Bank of um, and Brendan Rodgers has has categorically said no, and farmed him off on loan to whoever would have him. Um, with Edward, he, he, this, this is his next challenge, really, isn't it? Because Celtic are going to have to have quite a significant restructure of the entire club, really. And you'd, you'd imagine that that's going to filter down through the playing staff, uh, particularly those who they think they might be able to fetch some money for. Um they could just gonna have to rethink the the whole sort of operation up there um after a disastrous season on and off the pitch. So it's it's a good opportunity for somebody like Edward. He's had a few years up there, he's proven that he can score goals, he's got all the right attributes, I think, from what I've seen of him, um, to fit into this Leicester team. And it's this summer, having seen what we've seen from Vardy this season, is probably the right time to to have another striker here. And if it's a striker of that calibre, if Brendan Rodgers believes that he has the ability to make what is a significant step up, no disservice whatsoever to Scottish football, but to, to, to come to a the club that will, fingers crossed, touch would be uh, playing in the Champions League um, on, on merit of finishing in the top four of the Premier League, Rather than just kind of getting the the uh, the raffle ticket that is the Scottish pass into European football, um, then we it, Rogers needs to believe that he is that that right player. But from our point of view, I think what we've said this before. It wouldn't necessarily be a come straight in start instead of Vardy. All eyes on you. You better score twenty this season, otherwise the fans are going to turn on you. It wouldn't be like that. It would be a come in to work alongside Vardy and Iheanacho as three strikers at the club. The formation is more variable now, I think, than it has been in, in a long time um, in terms of the fact that there is no longer just a, a single striker or there doesn't always have to be. How many times over the last few years, um, apart from recently, have we seen anybody other than Jamie Vardy playing up front? And And I know we've had to adapt based on the availability of the personnel. But Ianacho has been playing up front with Vardy recently. So there is the opportunity there to not necessarily it be one from three, but it could be two from three. This is assuming Ianacho stays. But Edouard can learn from Vardy. He can play the games that Vardy doesn't, let's say. And then if there is an opportunity to tweak the system where we're playing two up front again, um, you and hopefully you get three players that are in form or, or that are playing well and are, and are confident, you can pick two from three. That's the ideal situation to be in rather than putting all the onus on a new striker who you pay some money for uh, and them not quite being up to speed straight away. Because let's look at Jamie Vardy, all right, a different situation when he came to Leicester, but there was a time when he was wanting to hang up his boots and sack off professional football. He didn't think he had it in him. It took him a, a while to get used to things and look what happened so I think coming in in the summer would give Edward time and I wouldn't say the pressure will be off because the expectation will be high of course it will but it the onus won't only be on him and I think that's important yes it will be and it, if I've always said
0: regarding him it looks just a complete no-brainer everything size of the guy goal scoring record age played with Rodgers uh position that we need price everything it just you know it it ticks every box that saying I don't like but it does and it just seems a no-brainer it really does and I think it's the one of maybe two I know they're after a wide forward and on the right ideally but if there was another striker as well I think they would still go for it I think they'll be looking at four I don't think you can maybe someone who maybe would be almost i know edward would would be that player as well but maybe a and more of a 9 do you know what i mean there's there's a few players who can play as a 10 or just off i'm talking out and out bang bang goal striker um so bang bang goal striker yeah there's a bit of a, a bit of punditry for you but you know you're out and out goal goal scorer number 9 that's what i think they they might still go for maybe a youngster from lower league and see what happens um, obviously whoever they sign if they ever sign that player i mean <laughs> you it could be from anyone let's just let's just take a, a a club someone like peterborough they've they've um they they've been producing strikers for for a long time and they've moved up through the league score loads of goals over not just the last few seasons but the last decade or two really um let's just say we spend 5 to 7 million quid on a player like we did with James Justin from Luton, who were, what, they were League One, going into the Championship at the time. So, similar kind of level. If we ever do that, or even from further down, the guy is just going to have Vardy stories written, all, oh, look, Leicester, another lower league striker, uh, especially if they're a quick number nine. But um, I still think they'll go for at least two. But uh, hopefully they go for a striker because they're joining the club because they're uh, they're in the Champions League. And a further three points would go a long way to securing that position. And if you had to choose a game, Rob, and this is not tempting fate, everyone, before everyone starts going... Urgh! But if you had to choose a game in the Premier League right now, you would choose Sheffield United at home. It's just a no-brainer, isn't it? Every club in the Premier League would choose Sheffield United at home. Now, Sheffield United midweek beat Villa, and I was slightly worried because you don't want them then coming on to uh, coming into the game at the King Power on the back of winning a couple of games, and even though it's still a long way off, but maybe just the green shoots of some kind of miracle survival campaign, that sort of thing. And then they go and lose at home against Southampton, who turn into the the, the lawn mower, and they've mowed up all of the green shoots, and it's been chopped off at the head, and pretty much it's game over. Especially with then Fulham winning as well, so they then turn up to the King Power, and they're there for the taking, aren't they? It's it's quite simple. It's three points that Leicester, if they've got any idea about finishing in the top four, they need to be winning this game. It's it's just an out and out it needs to be three points and again at this point of the campaign I don't care and I don't think anyone really to be honest um cares about how they get the three points okay ideally a nice safe 3-0 win playing really well but and Vardy scoring getting back on the goal the goal trail that would be ideal but uh I, I at this point I just don't care get the win that's all I want um so before I I kind of put out what I would uh, what I would put out onto the field what I think Leicester will do or what I hope they would do what what are your thoughts Rob just looking at that game against um
1: against your local side yeah I'm worried because <laughs> because you've just made it sound like it's going to be an absolute walk in the park and and yeah no I did look, no I no wait wait, wait 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 no I did not what you've done I is you made not. it sound like it's going to be the easiest game of the season which by proxy will make it one of the most difficult games of the season and also because it does have a, an added little edge for me with people at work and and people that I play uh, football with hopefully by the end of this month um that everything everything to me points to some sort of alarm bells especially um given that it's it's Leicester city I and mean, you just never know but yes on paper you could pick any fixture right now, it would absolutely be to play Sheffield United because they're down, of course they're down. And uh, what are they playing for? Chris has already said that there's a few players in that squad that he wishes he could kick out of the door today, which, you know, I like the man's honesty a lot of the time, but it doesn't exactly scream togetherness at the moment. So I think if, if things aren't going their way, which means that we need to start the game a lot better, I would say that that's, that's paramount. For, for the game against Sheffield United. Started um sloppily against Brighton and Burnley. And you don't need to, we don't need to give Sheffield United any reason to believe that they can get anything out of the game. So it's gotta be Leicester on the front foot from the first whistle. Which is obviously what you would expect to see every game from every team, but it's clearly not been there for Leicester in the last few. So it needs to be. And I think what they'll do is they'll take some confidence from the fact that they scrapped to a draw against Burnley. They beat Brighton after a poor first half um, and, and a late winner. So they've shown that they can win in that way. I'm hoping that they'll want to make their lives easier by controlling the game, not having to to graft like that and do what we did um, in a couple of games recently where you get a good cushion, you get 2-0 up at half-time and then the second half, you just let them have the ball and you say, come on then, don't care. You you come at us all you like. You're not going to create anything and I, and I think that's that's the thing that you could definitely say against she- about Sheffield United. They've not really got goals in them. I'd be interested to see formation-wise what Leicester go with here because I'd, we're still sort of in a position where our attacking options are fairly limited which you would imagine will will either see Ricardo and Castagna working in tandem again down one side with Albrighton on the other or we'll see a remain of the 352 and Sheffield United play a, a sort of 352 so you could say on paper and on the field that every Leicester player is better than every Sheffield United player so if you match up at 352 then each player wins their individual battles and you go on and win the game quite comfortably. But do you do that or do you change back to the four? And particularly now that we've got a better selection of centre-backs uh, in, in terms of Fafana coming back, I get the feeling Rodgers isn't maybe entirely comfortable with a Marty as, as one of a two. Chew and Fafana, Ricardo, and maybe... Thomas in with Castagna and Ricardo playing on one side, Thomas and O'Brien on the other. Um we'll see. But I think Ian is gonna, gonna gotta keep his place. This is the time where you say, look, you're two in two, your partnership with Vardy is, is growing. He used the ball extremely well. Ian is passing some of the, the, the um balls that he found Vardy with were excellent. So Inaccio's got a start for me in a two with Vardy. Uh, I can't see Tielemans and Ndidi being removed. It's just a question for me whether you play the three at the back or the four. Do you match Sheffield United man for man and go and beat them that way? Or do you try and find spaces in between those positions? What would you do? What would I
0: do? I would, because we have to play Jamie Vardy and Ian Acho, you can't split those two up. You can't not play them. I would... I know we kind of moved into a kind of a four-three-three second half. I I just think this screams absolute bog standard four-four-two. 4 You don't play you don't play three at the back against Sheffield United at home, and we know why because Leicester are going to have the ball. They're going to dominate possession. So if they're dominating possession, you don't want to recycle the ball back and have what I said at the beginning of the podcast happened in the first half against Brighton. You don't want Leicester to all of a sudden be knocking it around the back line of three players with the two wing-backs dropping back to have a line of five. That's exactly what you don't want to happen against Sheffield United at home. You want whoever is playing on the left or on the right, uh, which I think will be Albrighton Brighton on the left, as you said, and also Ricardo on the right. You want them to be as high up as possible. You want them to be playing as orthodox wide midfield slash wingers. Uh, you've got the two fullbacks. I think Castaigne on the right and Luke Thomas. No reason to bring uh, not to bring him back into the side on the left. And then your centre halves. Take your pick. So if Johnny Evans is fit, I don't think he will be. Uh, so you rule him out, and it just goes for Fafana and Soyuncu again. Those two as two centre halves. You would ideally like. Johnny Evans is one of them. And then one of Soyuncu or Fafana. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Okay, So, if you're ever going to play Soyuncu and Wesley Fafana as a back two, again, Sheffield United at home, not taking them lightly. But again, you're playing against the rock-bottom side at home. So, back four. Thomas, one side. Castagna the other side. And then Fafana and um, Soyuncu in the centre. Two midfielders, Yuri Tillemans and Wilfred Ndidi. Fantastic. Out wide on the right. You've got Ricardo On the left, you've got Albrighton. And then the forward two, you have your number nine, Jamie Vardy. And in a 4-4-2, ideally alongside him, maybe either the big man or the one who just slightly plays further back. And guess what? That's Kelechi Inacho, who's coming to this game on the back of two goals. Two really good goals. And likes to play alongside another forward. It screams... A 4 4 2. Now you can slightly adapt that in many different ways. You know, one man can just slightly play further back than the other and it turns into a 4. But essentially, that's how I think Leicester should line up. I think it suits, first of all, the forward two, which is what it's all about. We don't have Madison. We don't have Harvey Barnes. So because of those two missing, And also I'll throw in, we don't have um, more than, oh, Ayuzi Perez, more than likely. I don't think they'll throw him back in straight away, hopefully on the bench. So he won't play then on the right. So because of that, this ideally suits the front two, who are one of them in really good form. It ideally then suits... The players on the right and left because you can play Ricard, and that obviously can be adapted left, right, and centre. If Thomas is having a tough game, you can then switch and swap and all that sort of thing. Uh, you've got Orbrighton on the left, suits him fine. They can always swap if they want, etc. And it just looks a very sensible standard lineup to say, look. If we play this formation, we're going to create chances. We've got a man up front in good form. We've got a guy alongside him who needs a goal and he's playing against a side he's had a really good record against. And I don't think you need to complicate things. I don't think you need to play three at the back. I think this is a time to say, go on the front foot. You've gone and played two games and got good results in both. Really tough games. After a week off, now go and play your stuff. Go and express yourself. And hit them and hopefully get in front early, dominate the game, dominate possession and hopefully then get into a position in the game where you might bring one or two of these youngsters on. Who knows? But that's what I would go with. Nothing flash, nothing fancy, but ultimately what
1: generally looks like a bit of a 4-4-2 job. I think availability permitting you might be right on the money there Pete you've 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 highlighted the areas where it's going to benefit Leicester City you'd look at a team playing a 352 like Sheffield United and if it was anybody else you might be a little bit more concerned but they don't use the ball particularly well from the centre of midfield so I've got no real worries that And Didi and Tielemans are going to be particularly overrun. And if they really, really needed to, you could just say to Ianacho, look, when we haven't got the ball, just drop on their deepest central midfielder and just make make life a little bit more awkward for him. You are then trusting Fafana and Soyuncu to play 2v2 against the centre forwards. Now, these days, that's quite a, a rare occurrence, isn't it? To have two players playing up front against two... Players playing in a back four doesn't happen very often. Not many teams play with two up front anymore. Um, a lot of teams change into a back three. But you look at any kind of football in England 10 15 years ago, it would always have been 4 4 2 versus 4 4 2. You'd always have had two strikers against two centre halves. So, and, and and look, they're Sheffield United strikers who are not particularly free flowing in the goal department, are they? So you back Suantiu and and Fofana to play 2v2 there. And ultimately, if you're playing wingers as well as fullbacks, then your wingers can deal with the wingbacks if they need to. And you can you can take your fullbacks into to to help out if if they need a little bit of assistance. So I don't think we're going to get overrun anywhere with that system. I think you're right. It plays to our strengths and it does really you know we've seen ricardo and castagna operate together down the right hand side and they look really good together and or brighton's the only other winger in the squad so for me he's got to start this game and 442 why not go back to basics go and deliver hopefully a couple of goals and a clean sheet and and just a, a confident three points to move on with yeah just don't overcomplicate things this side have
0: uh, the ability to do that um, they this side has the ability I think to sometimes just slightly overthink things in the same hand I will say it's and I this is what I said um, on, on Sky last week they've got the ability to then change formation during the game the adaptability of the side is unbelievable it's fantastic but they still do have I, I when you've got especially when you've got someone like Vardy in the side sometimes sometimes and I'm not saying just boot it up front but you know just doing the obvious sometimes it is the right thing to do overplaying sometimes is not the right way. Look at what happened at Burnley with Arsenal. Oh, but let's just let's just cut back about that. Yes, my prediction about the Arsenal was absolutely woeful. It all got thrown back in my face. How de- <laughs> You've said in front of the nation about how Leicester... It's all about Leicester and what they do rather than Arsenal and how disappointing some of their stars are. Well, I know Pepe has been dreadful and he's rubbish and he turned up for one game against Leicester and looked brilliant. But against Burnley he's gone back to being absolutely woeful. I think he's absolutely garbage. I will just reiterate what I said on TV. He is garbage. It 76 million quid. He, that open goal he missed by just an air shot. And there you go. I I loved that. I really did. I laughed a lot. Almost as much as the uh, the the Burnley goal that he got from uh, from the the midfielder passing it against the uh, Woods uh, was it his chest or his head or his face or whatever? So anyway, there we go. Just a little bit of uh, just something to get off from chest there. So Sheffield United at home. Rob, when it comes to predictions, then so we went with a draw and a win um, in the reverse way. So we, we said we we're going to beat Burnley and draw it at Brighton, but it was the other way around. So I think a bit of a pat on the back, um, and we both went for the same score lines, which weren't quite right, but never mind. So we got that. I'm going to say I'm going to say we got that right. Um... Sheffield United at home. I am going to go for. Uh, I don't think it's. I think it would be quite unwise, really, to just say ah three or four nil. No worries. I will go for a clean sheet though. I'm thinking two nil, and first goal scorer. It's got to be Vardy, hasn't it? It's got to be Vardy to get a goal against that club. And I can see him now because we're going to be shooting to the right, hopefully towards the family end, as we like to do in the first half. He scores and he runs over to the away fans who aren't there, and he does the old, puts his finger to his lips
1: and shushes them. That's what I'm saying. Two nil, City. You've pictured this, haven't you? I was th- I was just deciding whether to go two or three nil. Um, I'll say two nil by half time. Uh, add an extra one in to the second half when we're fully in control. I'll go three nil. Three nil and two nil to Leicester. Now
0: on the back of this, we then have another week off. Because this game's on a Sunday, isn't it? I, I absolutely, hands down, thought it was Saturday, but it's on Sunday against Sheffield United, two o'clock kickoff, and then we play our FA Cup quarter final the week after, so a full week uh, against Manchester United, and what a game to look forward to! We'll obviously do a podcast before that, so there's no real preview at the moment, but uh, a great game now to look, especially if if we beat Sheffield United again. Doesn't matter whether it's 2-0 or 3-0 or whether it's by an injury time arm,arty Marty Thigh. Um, As long as we beat Sheffield United, then it would be fantastic as supporters to then have a full seven days of excitement building, knowing that the Premier League campaign is going well and the position in the league hasn't really changed and the gap to so-and-so and 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 so-and-so hasn't changed because we've got three points. And then have... That being put away, knowing it's going well, and then just looking forward to a standalone one-off quarterfinal at home against Manchester United, not worried about anything to do with the Premier League. That would be amazing. And it would just build up to one of the most exciting games for a very long time. It will be one of those games, I would say, maybe if we beat Sheffield United, Rob, I'd say the, the Manchester United game might well be the biggest game we've played without fans is in the game that we would rather we want to be at, you know, the most disappointing game that we're not going to be there, if you know what I mean. A quarter final home tie against Manchester United, what an atmosphere again, generated by away fans as well because of the, the increased numbers with the FA Cup. It would have been a bouncing king power, really, really disappointing. But if we beat Sheffield United again, because that's the main thing. Wouldn't that build up to United be Chef, uh, Manchester United? That is, wouldn't it be something special?
1: It would. It would have been even more special, obviously, if we could have been there. And, and I can imagine the build up on the day. You know, five o'clock Sunday afternoon kickoff for an FA Cup game. Um, you can say what you like about wanting it to be Saturday at three o'clock, but that would be a lot of uh, lunchtime beverages consumed. The ground would be full early doors, I'd say. it would be a mess. it would be a oh, mess, it, Rob. It'll it would be an absolute it, mess. there would be the, the Leicester economy on Monday, the 22nd of March would have gone right downhill because there'd be so many sickies thrown in the morning. Yeah, big, big game. Huge game. But uh, it's a positive that you say that we've got the whole week. Well, we've got the whole week now building up to the Sheffield United game. Brendan Rodgers has said that he'd be looking forward to actually just getting some coaching into the players because it's been game Rest, recovery, game, rest, recovery. Seven days to prepare for the visit of Sheffield United. A further seven days then to prepare for the visit of Manchester United. A chance for hopefully a few more players to get themselves back into contention for playing. A chance for other players that have played far too much football recently, like Yuri Tilleman's example. Uh, for example, to, to have a little bit of of a breather and yes Sheffield United is the most important thing right now but brilliant once that game is finished it's exactly almost a week um, till the Manchester United game and you can bask in the well I don't know if you can call it glory beating Sheffield United but you can enjoy beating Sheffield United and then focus your attention on the following Sunday and there will be, I'm sure, people already deciding how they're going to watch it, or when when they're going to plan their Sunday dinners to fit in around the game, um, that kind of thing. It, it will be a real, real occasion. And yes, you're absolutely right. It would be one that, that will stand out from this s- strange season, the fanless season, uh, as probably the one that we're most gutted to have missed.
0: You mentioned fans and the rumours at the moment is there might be the possibility of fans attending the final two games of the season. So every side then has a home game with what would be, say, 25% fans in the ground. That's the idea. So Leicester's last game against Tottenham. Just to run through, actually, before uh, we move on to the fantasy football and end the podcast. After the, the game against United in the FA Cup, now hopefully there will be then semi-finals and final of the FA Cup to come, but the run in the Premier League looks like this. It looks to be then um, tough and then points, and then tough. So you've got Man City at home, West Ham away. Two very, very tough games. And then after that, you're looking at picking up points, home against West Brom, home against Crystal Palace, away at Southampton, mm-hmm. and then at home against Newcastle. So those four games follow the two difficult games against Man City and and West Ham. And then you've got the final three game shootout, which we all know, Manchester United away, Chelsea away, and Tottenham at home. Hopefully, hopefully, we're in the position where, regardless of what happens in those final three games, we are in the top four. That would be ideal. That's the ideal scenario. And we have the run of four games before that, I think, to put us in that place. We'll see what happens. And we'll be here, obviously. And we'll be here with the fancy football rob now again we're in the middle of a game week so it is slightly awkward but we'll do the top 10 because we haven't done the top 10 for a while because of again all the games that are going on and at the moment this will be the top 10 that doesn't include the games on this sunday so for the first time in a while rob play that music in 10th place again as we stand right now. It's Steve Curtin with FC Vladovich Barbers and they're on 1,655 points. 9th place Rob Baker, FC Bakelona with 1,676 points, the same points in 8th place. John Almeida with Sagres United in 7th place. John follows JFC Leicester with 1,691 points. 6th place, Joe Healy, Les Dennis, with 1,722 points. So a bit of a gap then, between 7th and 6th. Top 5 is Tala Huya with Team Lao, with 1,723 points. Uh, Humza Yazdani, FC Mordor, in 4th place. Same amount of points, 1,723. Uh, we've got in 3rd place, Max Magnuson, come up from uh, lower down the table. With Rad Saxon, 1729 points. And then the top two in second place, Luke Taylor. Taylor made 1731. And out in front, Sam Lau, 1774 points. Uh, so a bit of a gap now at the top. Sam Lau um, is uh, doing very well. Just click on his team. Uh, he captained gundogan uh no one really captain kane kane got a lot of points rob and on about my bail dilemma earlier and i made the wrong call there uh so i've dropped down i'm down in 29th place um not had the greatest couple of weeks but okay-ish this week real error there not picking bail when i had him in my team so the top 10 is looking a little way off but i've still got a few um, cards at my sneeze I've got my bench boost I've got my triple captain still to use as well so uh, it's not all lost really in terms of hope for Frank Sinclair own goal Rob
1: yes are you, are you, I'm scrolling I, I thought you would be um, down in the 120s as usual um, but I'm, I'm doing alright this, this week so far we're talking on Sunday evening after the Spurs game has just finished um, I'm on 38 points at the moment with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players still to play one more game. So I wouldn't say that's too bad. I did the same as you. And I thought this this week is, is the time to to bring out Bruno Fernandes and refresh my midfield. Uh, who do I bring in? Somebody who's got a double game week. Kevin De Bruyne. Who scores in the Manchester Derby? Bruno Fernandes. Who does absolutely nothing in the Manchester derby, Kevin De Bruyne. So yeah, <laughs> not, not ideal. Not as bad as you though, who spent all week planning to bring Bale into his team and then just didn't do it. Why not? It, worse than that, it was I had Bale
0: to replace Harvey Barnes, and I was going to. Ca- and it, genuine, like it, you know, it's not just after after time in here, but it was um, it was Bale to replace. Harvey Barnes, because of Spurs playing in the game week in two weeks' time when not many teams are playing. And I was going to captain him because it would have been... I just wanted the slight angle on Harry Kane because I thought many people would, would captain him. So that was what I was going to do. And then at the last minute, when it came to actually making the decision, I decided to do what I think a lot of people have done, and that's get rid of Fernandez and, and replace with with KDB, with Kevin De Bruyne. And then I, need, I was looking at that game week in a couple of weeks' time. I brought in Jesse Lingard. Who, in retrospect, I should have really brought in along with Bale. The, the, the problem I've got is that the other midfielder is Smith Rowe, who's out injured, but he should be back, and he will play in that game week in a couple of weeks' time. So, if I didn't have him, I would have gone with Lingard and, and Bale, and it would have been fantastic. So, yeah, issues. And I've got, and the one midfielder that I kept, because I had two for Manu, and I kept Rashford, who, yes, he got an assist, but then he's injured now, so he's going to be the one I have to replace and i'm going to have to replace him with someone who can play because Lingard can't play in the next game because he's uh, part of the deal on loan from Manchester United so uh, because they play them midweek so yeah a little bit of a mess essentially but i think the um the moral of the story is just stick to your guns, stick to what the ideal plan was and what the plan was midweek. But I've really come a cropper. This could have, I could have been on the verge of the top ten, Rob, if I stuck to my guns. But hopefully KDB. Then I don't know who they're playing midweek. Um, Southampton at home, aren't they? Hopefully he plays first of all because of their squad rotation and the fact they've got an unbelievable squad and hardly any of them are injured. Uh, so hopefully he plays and he you know assists a hat trick or scores whatever. Anyway, that's our fancy football woe. But it's it's exciting, isn't it, Rob? Because we know, I think that last part of the podcast, it's it certainly got me going, hasn't it? With the, the last segment regarding if we beat Sheffield United. Again, by hook or by crook. Who cares? Okay, we beat them. And then you've got the excitement of the FA Cup. Something that many fans of many clubs don't have. Many people in Leicestershire many people wherever they are around the world as well um, will have fans of clubs who are local to them who they either see at work if they're, first of all, if you're lucky to actually be able to go or see anyone at the current time or or even have the ability to do some work. But if you have that, then local supporters to a club to you uh, might not be enjoying the success of Leicester. They might be rocked down, uh, right down towards the bottom of whatever league in whatever country they're in. Uh, you could be Um, a supporter of a club maybe north of the border who have not had the success that they've had recently and other clubs have maybe won the division that you're in and are rubbing your nose in it slightly. Or you could be in Leicestershire or the surrounding areas and you could have people who support Derby and Forest near you and they're both absolutely dreadful. What a Sky doing putting Forest on Live on TV on plenty of occasions. They I saw their gamers. They are dog. They're absolutely dreadful. So everything's going well with Leicester and they're dreadful with most other clubs <laughs> from other supporters who are local to you. That's the good thing. And if we and the and the thing I'm getting to slowly, is if we beat Sheffield United on Saturday, we have a full run-up to a united game at home in the FA Cup quarter final something that many of these clubs will not have and something that we can then rub their noses in and say look what we're looking forward to that's what i want rob that's what that's the build up i want all the way i want Bakeries to be making Leicester City cakes and putting them in the window. I want the local florists to have blue and white flowers outside. I want homemade banners saying City for the Cup and I want tin foil FA Cups everywhere. That's what I want. But it's only going to happen if we beat Sheffield United.